The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, so we're going to continue in the gospel of Luke. No shocker there, right? We've been there since September. If you're expecting anything different, sorry, we're going to be there for a minute, right? Right. <laughs> but we're in chapter eight. We're going through it, right? And uh, if you remember last week, I, I told you that there's this, there's a series that's really, you could probably preach this whole text as, as one sermon. I was talking with a young guy this morning and he said, yeah, I'm excited to see where we're cutting it this morning because as I see it, it's like one story. And I'm like, it really is. Like last week, we got to see Jesus's power over danger, right? As he calms the storm. Uh, this morning, we're going to see something like out of the twilight zone as he, as he like cast out demons, right? Uh, next week, right? Spoiler alert. You're going to get to see he has power and authority over, let's say, sickness and death. There's two stories that kind of intertwine there. Uh, but, but what I want you to see is each story uh, that is presented here by Luke, it, it really is worst case scenario for people. Last week was worst case scenario for those men that were on the boat. Um, this week, it's, it's worst case scenario for a man who's filled with a legion of demons. Or at least we, that's how he presents it, right? Um, this is desperate. This is hopeless. Uh, but what we see is that, that with Christ, there's, there's always hope. And no matter what comes against Christ, it, it can't overcome him. He's, he's fully God and he's fully man. So let's, let's get to the text. We're going to just work our way through it. Let's look at 8 and let's just look at 26 through 29. Right? I'm going to read it and we're going to work our way through it. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. Right? So they were on their boat and now they're on shore. When Jesus had stepped out onto land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Right? Plural. (laughs) For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Okay, let's, let's stop there and let's look. All right, hopefully Jesus enjoyed his nap on the boat, right? Because he's getting right to it right here. He goes from a raging sea to a scene out of a horror film. Or at least that's how I picture it, right? This is not, it's not what you want to see when you get off the cruise boat, right? But, but, but I want you to notice something. Jesus has not only crossed over the, the sea from Galilee, right? But he's actually crossing a, a cultural boundary that you and I might not actually get. But, but you got to get this. He's gone into Gentile land, right? And, and why that matters is because this is not the people of God. This is not Israel. This is not the Jewish nation. These folks are worshiping false gods, right? And they're dining on unclean pigs. And Jesus knows it. And this is why he's going there. It's not a place, though, where you would expect a Jewish rabbi to visit, which begs the question. Why did he choose willingly to go into this Gentile land? I don't think you have to do a whole lot of gymnastics to get there in the Bible. I I think it's pretty clear that that we know this, that Jesus went there, right, to set a captive free. 
If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you see the same thing with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. It's a specific moment where Jesus, he knows this man. And he's going there to set this man free from a life of torment. Why? Well, because he's fulfilling his mission. Uh, If you remember back to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, if not, sorry, I'm going to read it to you. Jesus is telling his mission. He's letting everyone know, here's what I've come to do. Now, he's accomplished many things. He's come to do many things. He's come to set sinners free, right? He's come to defeat Satan, sin, and death. He's done many things. But here's what he said in Luke chapter 4. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Poor here doesn't just mean bankrupt. It means bankrupt in every way, right? Morally, socially, physically, yes, definitely money. But you are, you're just desperate, right? He said, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is what he set out to do. And this man that we see in Luke chapter 8, he's really an ultimate picture of poor, right? Oppressed, captive. I mean, he's captive in a war that he cannot win. And he's, he's really a, a pitiful sight, right? If you could imagine this guy, right? Just, just picture it. He's isolated, right? He was in the city. He's from the city. You know, one thing you find in the city is generally you'll find a lot of people. But he's been driven out to, to live among tombs, right? But even if that's not good enough, he's chained in the tombs, but he breaks the chains, and now the demons drive him out to the desert where there's nothing. There's no one, and he's living there. Demons control this man's speech. Demons control this man's actions. As he shouts to Jesus, leave me alone, right? The demons are saying, leave me alone. Do not torment us, right? This is the picture. This is a picture of of a shattered life. And and don't think this is like some allegory thing. This is a real man in a real situation at a real time. He's been enslaved both by demons, right? There's chains on this man that we can't see. But he's also been enslaved by humans. He's had physical shackles put upon this man, visible for all to see. And and what we see is an example of how Jesus... Well, let's see. Let me see this different. How Satan... Loves to bind people, grind people, and degrade humans until they're a mangled mess of a man or a woman. Why? First point, Satan and demons hate God and his image bearers. And therefore, they seek to distort and destroy the image of God in man. That's one of the many things they seek to do. They hate God. Humankind, man and woman, was created in God's image to bring God glory, to reflect His goodness, to reflect His characteristics in in life, in the way that they live and enjoy life with God. You see this in Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. That's in Genesis 1.27. So, so, so get this, right? So if you had a mirror in your home, I'm guessing many of you do, and you were to look in it, what's reflecting back at you is you, right? I don't think that's profound. But God creates men and women in his image to reflect his goodness to the world, to glorify God. 
By the way, if this isn't new thinking for you, I want you to know right now, the Bible's primarily about God and his glory, not about you. You might think, oh, I don't like how that sounds. It's actually great news. Because we live in a world right now that wants to make man central, woman central. It, it wants to make creature central. And, and i got to tell you, as I look around, it's not working out. What you don't need is more self-confidence. What you need is God confidence. What you need is you need to be second. You need to, to decrease. God in your life needs to increase in, in life, right? That's the created order. That's how it works. That's a good thing. So it should not be of any surprise when Satan and demons seek to destroy God's image bearers, right? So take that same mirror image that you're looking back and you're like, okay, that looks all right. You might be like, I don't know, that doesn't look that good. But now imagine fracturing that mirror in about a million places and trying to glue it back Back together and look at it and that's what's happened after the fall you have a distorted image of God so God can be perfectly angry and never sin never sin you and I almost always our anger doesn't go well right God can be wonderfully and perfectly jealous never in a sinful way you and I our jealousy is almost always distorted Right? And, and so you can see the distortions of humans after the fall. Well, I don't think it's, it's too hard to be, you know, figure out that Satan's aim then is to take image bearers and to distort them and debase them even more. Right? The debasement of man um, is, is really a, a distortion of the divine image that, that God has created. And sin seeks to attack the glory of God. Right? And the reason we have to recognize this is this isn't just something abstract. Satan and demons work to degrade humans, right? animalize humans. And, and anytime that happens, that's always in line with Satan's plan. Okay? Whether it be an attitude, right? whether it be a habit, an addiction, um, a sexual sin, whether that would be homosexual or heterosexual. Right? All these are distortions and unforgiving, bitter heart. All these things are animalistic, um, foolishness, drunkenness, lying. But at, at the end of all of it, guess what it all is? It's all idolatry. It's all idolatry. It's, it's, it's worshiping creature rather than creator, right? We see that in Romans chapter 1. It, it says that they would, humans would much rather worship creature rather than creator even though we know we know there's a god you're like well i know some atheists you really don't you know people who say they're atheists there are no humans walking the face of this earth that truly at the end of the day can deny that there is a creator they may say that but they're saying that is actually just proof they're showing i just want to be untethered from him and so look around if you ever wonder like well what's wrong with the world this is what's wrong with the world I, just this week, I'm going to tell you, I, I had seen something online. It was very strange, and, and it was a, a particular thing that's titled Dragon Lady. That was the title of the article, okay? Um, and, I, and I don't say this to mock somebody, and so I, I would say be cautious to be like, ha-ha, this is someone's child. This person is loved by someone, and there's some parent somewhere heartbroken over this situation. Uh, but this person was born Richard Hernandez and has, now listen, been in the process of transformation for years that has included 18 horn implants, the removal of both ears, 
the splitting of the tongue, so it's become forked, right? Tamat Legion Medusa is now the name of this, this human, and this person's on a mission to become, listen, a genderless reptile. Yeah, it, it's strange. The, the pictures are even more strange. How does that happen? Well, I think we could definitely say there's mental illness there, potentially. Yeah, I would say, yeah, let's say yes, right? But I got to tell you, we always just run to that and say that's all it is. Well, it might not always just be that, right? For someone to want to be a genderless reptile and have horns installed in their head is, is, is really a demonic thought. It's a demonic thought. Right? I got to tell you, though, as I was writing this, and I'm like, wow, is this where the sermon's going? It is. This kind of teaching is, is really, in preaching on the subject of Satan and demons, is not welcomed in our enlightened culture. I think we can all agree with that, right? Uh, we should expect that. We should expect that. Now, some people are really welcome. They're like, tell me more, because it's like tales from the crypt, right? However, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's often not welcome in the church, it's not welcome in the church either. Or, or it's entertained or even fantasized about in ways that it ought not be. I knew a guy who is a pastor, and he, he does demon mapping. You're like, well, that's weird. It is weird. Uh, it's not biblical, right? He, he would tell you what demons run the corridors and the, the, the areas of Greensburg. Yeah, he's among us. And he would tell, and I'm like, okay, that, dude, that's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. But here's what happens. On the other end of the spectrum is we just say there's no Satan, there's no demons. And both are in error. Listen to how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialistic and magician with the same delight. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying if, if Satan can't blind you to, to disbelief, then what will happen? He'll just happily open your eyes to be obsessed with him. Right? Those are your two errors that we can make within a church. Our aim at For the City Church is to think biblically. To think biblically. And you might be like, well, that's every church's aim. Great. Praise the Lord. But, but I've been in churches where they put too much emphasis on Satan. They're casting Satan out of the Cheerios, right? They're like, man, I mean, I've seen it. I've actually had people come to my house and say, I can't believe you let your kid, you know, watch Harry Potter. I'm like, she's not done any kind of magic tricks with me yet. And when she tried, it didn't work. So I'm pretty sure she's not down with it, right? Now, if you're like, I don't want my kid to read Harry Potter, that's fine. It's fine, but when you start trying to cast demons out of the Cheerios, you're probably a little off the radar. You're a little off the reservation. But then what else can happen is we just say, well, there's just no such thing as Satan. Both are wrong. So what is a healthy biblical thought? Well, I want keep your seatbelt on at all times, right, when reading the Bible. But let the Bible say what it says. The story of this demoniac affirms the biblical reality of Satan and demons, right? But it doesn't encourage an unhealthy fascination or even fear, right? Why? Well, thankfully, we get to keep reading. Look at verse 30 through 36. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. 
For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart to the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to, not, uh, to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it to the city and to the country. Then people went out to see what happened. And they came to Jesus and they found the man, listen to this, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Just real quick, notice this. Fear, fear can draw you near Christ, or it can cause you to run from him. The difference in response is, is really a stunning thing, right? Um, this man who's filled with a legion of demons runs to Jesus. Now, the demons cast him at the feet, and I don't think we should put too much into that. But don't, don't send us into the abyss. Now, the people in the town see this, and they're like, I'm out of here. I'm fleeing from whatever's happening here. By the way, this exorcism is way different than how the movies in our culture present the battle of good and evil. Like, way different, right? Often at this point in movies... And you're like, I don't watch horror movies. I grew up with them. You guys watch Scooby-Doo. We watched like Friday the 13th. It was strange. I had good parents. They were a little, little strange, right? We didn't grow up in a Christian home. It was like Freddy. And I was like, I always had nightmares. And everyone's wondering why. There's your sign, right? <laughs> but, but I got to tell you, in the movie, what would happen is you'd have some demon thing going on. A priest would show up and he has a crucifix and he has some holy water and he's got the little thing around his neck. The next thing you know is he's going down. That's what's happening, right? That's not what happens here, right? Don't distort this. The error that happens in culture and even in some churches is what we present as dualism. Dualism. Good God, bad God battle who will win I don't know and then on Facebook you can even see it and they're arm wrestling right like it if you want Jesus to defeat Satan which that's strange that's that's just weird right but I got to tell you that's never the truth that's revealed in scripture there's Christ right there's God Almighty and there's everything else created you don't have to hit the like on the thing to get Jesus to win the arm wrestling match. Why? Jesus wins. And you don't have to, you don't have to do a, a, a big old exorcism thing. He just commands it. His word has power. If he says it, it happens. That's, the, that's what we see. Jesus asked this man right now, what is your name? And what he gets in return is the, the word legion. Now here's the problem. The word legion is not a name. It's actually an evasive way to avoid the question. But what it's revealing is this is a seriously possessed man, right? A Roman legion would, would consist of about 6,000 foot soldiers. So think about this, right? I'm not saying he had 6,000 demons. But I'm saying a Roman legion would consist of 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen, Right? And yet this man is so infested with a legion of demons, he falls at the feet of Christ. And, and be reminded what he says. What have you to do with me, Jesus? Listen, son of the most high God. I beg you, 
do not torment me. Oh, know, know this. They know. They know it's not dependent on your Facebook likes. They know they're defeated. They know they're on a timed schedule. And there is coming a day when their destruction is assured. They know it. They, they tremble, right? They, they can't not help but to confess and profess that Jesus is God Almighty. They have better theology than you and I. Now, don't make that mistake of thinking, well, does that mean they're believers? No, there's absolutely no chance of that. The Bible is very clear. But they know. And when in his presence, they have to say it, right? So, so don't ever think like, well, we got to do this thing where we got to like, you know, burn some, some uh, you know, what is that even called? I forget what it's called. But the, what is it? Sage. Yeah, this is a big thing in, in Greensburg right now. Crystals. We've got to sit on crystals and, 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 and hope for something you know, to happen. There's Christians who do this. You ought not do this. You ought not do There's no power in burning sage. Now, if you like the smell of it, go for it. But if you're putting your hope in it, stop. At the name of Christ, demons flee. That's the kind of power. That's the God we worship. Listen, after professing and acknowledging the supremacy of Jesus' sovereign rule and reign here, this posse of demons cower before him. Cower before him. And, and they beg repeatedly to not be thrown into the abyss. I'm not going to get into that, but just know this. It's not final judgment. It's not hell. It's kind of like a holding tank, right? Don't send this there. And Jesus exhibits his power by interrogating them yes but then giving them permission listen giving them permission to go where into a herd of pigs right making every pita human in the world angry right like why did you do that and but look what they do they rush into the lake for a swine suicide this is a strange story but you know what what's the point the point is the fight wasn't fair the fight wasn't fair a legion of demons isn't fair. You need more, but you can't get enough. Why? Because he's God. Don't miss this. I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story because I think it's funny. Maybe you won't. Um, we'll find out in a moment. So I was in Guatemala preaching. And I was preaching to about 120 youngish. Everyone's younger now to me. But they were like, let's say, 12 to 15. And I was preaching this text. And just below the hill, there was a, a big old pig farm, right? And every morning they would go and they would just slop, throw slop everywhere. And when, when they're feeding, it is a loud sound, right? And it had a tin roof because you're in Guatemala. And so I'm in this section and all of a sudden the pigs howl. Now, I don't know what it sounds like in hell, but I'm telling you it was close to that. And I think every kid there got saved that morning. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I couldn't do that if I tried. And I was like, that was, that's some powerful stuff, Lord. Thank you. That was helpful. Uh, but listen, don't, don't miss the point. Jesus did what this man and this community could not do in their own power, which is what? Break the chains and the shackles of the demons that attempted to just debase this man, destroy his life. And Jesus comes and he sets this enslaved man free. He restores his life to wholeness. <laughs> what a beautiful picture. This is the power of the gospel, by the way. This is the power of the gospel. 
right? Jesus has undone Satan's work in this man's life. He restored his image in the life of this ex-demoniac. And he's sitting there. Picture him. He's clothed. What, what grace. What grace it is in that moment. He's covering up his shame. He clothed him right there. He, he's not controlled by, by demons. He's at peace. Right? He's not roaming the tombs in his mind or anything else. He's in communion with the creator and the sustainer of all as he sits there in his right mind. Oh, Jesus is such a good master. He's such a good master. So many people, the lie they believe. See, Satan is a deceiver. He is a liar from the beginning. And the lie that, that he often presents is that you don't want to run to God because God is a fun buster. That's where life is not found. He's going to want to control you and he's going to want to ruin you. So don't go there. Stick with me, right? That's where ACDC's playing songs and we got the dude in the red suit with the little pitchfork and everybody's having a good time. Oh, what a liar he is. What, what a beautiful picture of what Satan does compared to what Jesus does. He restores him. And he's sitting there at peace, clothed and in his right mind. That's the second point. In Jesus, the power of God can and does conquer the power of darkness, setting us free in order to enjoy life to the fullest. Jesus has come that we might have life and life abundantly. Because all life, real life, is found in God, through Christ. There's no life to be found outside of Him. And if you've ever experienced that, even if you're not a Christian, it's only because of God's general grace to give to you. Because you're created in His image. And that shows His character, His kindness, His love for His creation. Colossians 1.13-14 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man, don't, don't miss this. Do you see? Do you see? Satan wants, he wants you to sin. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your health. Ultimately, for what reason? To bring you into the abyss of hell with him and the demons forever. Why? Because he hates God and he hates you. And yet, too many times we make the mistake of entertaining him with sin, with unrepentant sin, with things we know that God does not have for us, and yet we're unwilling to turn away from it because we've bought the lie that somehow that brings life and joy and happiness it's not because you don't understand what God desires for you from your life. You don't believe that Jesus is better in that situation. You believe you know better. And when I say you, put me in that situation. I'm not separate from you here. But we need to have our minds transformed to know that God's way, it doesn't mean it's always easy, but it's always best. It's always best. It's always best to trust God. It's always best to obey His Word when it's clear and when we know why? Because even though it may bring on suffering, even though it may bring on pain, what it ultimately brings is life and peace at the feet of God. And so God, help us to be a people who obey. See, the good news is, is that God is more powerful than anything, including your sinful desires. 
Do you believe that? I mean, if you're in Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Therefore, listen, there's no sin that rules your life. I'm going to say it even more clear. That means that there is no sin you ever have to do again. I'm not saying you'll never not sin again. We don't teach a sinless perfection here. That day will come. But what I am saying is that the Bible's clear meaning of Scripture is that when you're in Christ, that means you now have a new master. Satan is no longer your God with a little G, right? And you no longer have to obey him. No temptation's overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your own ability, but with the temptation, He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13. What's that say? Plain as day, it's saying that anytime you sin, it's because you're choosing to dive into it because you want to. You want to. Don't, don't join Eve and say, Satan made me do it. If you're in Christ, Satan didn't make you do anything. You wanted to do it. Well, it would be so good if we could grasp this, believe this, and embrace this, because what it would do is it would allow you and I to stop making excuses for our sinful behavior. Take ownership. I did it because I wanted to do it. I believed Satan's ways were better. Oh, I don't want to say that, but that's the reality. I didn't believe that God is where life is found. That's the reality. All sin starts with a lie of you believing that which is not true. That's why you have to have your mind. I have to have my mind constantly renewed. I need to set my mind on Christ, not things below, but things above. I need help to believe that truth, but it's true. And it's so important to understand that, right? Only through Jesus... Can you be redeemed from slavery to Satan's sin, death, and hell? And if you turn from sin and trust in Christ, you will, you do, have a new life. Therefore, you're a new creation, the Bible would say. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you believe that? Perhaps, perhaps you do, but maybe you've descended so deeply into sin, and you're like, oh, not us. We're all friendly, happy people. I'm telling you, I've just been doing this too long to know. I just know. I've met some people that just on the outside, just you're thinking, this is the happiest, slappiest, sweetie pie you ever met. Way nicer than you, Pastor Scott. And they're just enslaved to things you, I don't even want to talk about here. Hiding in the shadows. And the whole community thinks, man, they're just amazing. And they won't talk about it. Because if they did, they'd, they'd, they'd lose too much. What will people think of me? If that's you, I'm, I'm begging you. Come into the light where life is found. You are probably going to have to lose things. But what you will gain, which is a right mind, a restored relationship, life with God, is far greater than anything that you're enslaved to right now. Far greater. I think so many times we just think church is just to be this place where it's like, we're all just to be so nice and say shucks and stuff, right? Because that really shows transformation. I used to say the other word. Now I say shucks. Well, praise Jesus. And when we talk about our struggles in a missional community group, we use language like, you know, I just, I just really struggle. I mean, I'm on the freeway, and sometimes I just want to say, gosh darn it, golly gee. 
but I don't. And there's someone in that room, I guarantee you, that's so enslaved to probably pornography or something else that they don't even want to talk about. And they think, if that's your life, I don't understand my reality. I don't even know if I'm saved. I can't talk about that. And it just drives you deeper into darkness. Just drives you deeper into darkness. I'm just telling you, Jesus says, come into the light. It's where healing's found. It's where hope's found. Come. I love to restore people. How do I know that? All over the Bible. It just shows Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, the desperately lost, those who are sick, sin sick, dying, headed to hell. Jesus loves to redeem them. Why? Because that's all there is. That's all there is. There's not, Jesus didn't come to save all right folks. He came to save those who are desperately sick, full of sin in the domain of darkness, transfer them into the kingdom of His beloved Son, where life is found, redemption is found. This is what He's come to do. And, and listen, you got to know this. This transformation of a life is so possible because of the power of Christ. So possible. I, I have full confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. Why? I'll tell you why. A, because I read it. I read it, and I believe it. Why? Because God's Word is true. I've seen the, the power of the Gospel bring beauty where there was only death and destruction and decay. I have personally seen it bring life and shalom into a life where there was only death and chaos. I have seen the power of the Gospel to, meta, like, let's, say, let's say metaphorically, let's say clothe the naked, those who are exposed, those who are poor, those who are abused, those who everyone around them take advantage of, and in their right mind, sit there clothed with the righteousness of Christ and have life with God. I've witnessed that. I could tell you story after story, but I'm going to only tell you one. I knew a lady at a previous church that I used to pastor. She was, she was abused as a young girl. She got into Wiccan and occult activity as a teenage girl, and she was a picture of this man. In so many ways. I'm not saying that she was oppressed or, or demonized. I don't know that. But I will tell you this. It was bad. And she would tell me story after story. And how one night, one night in a desperate moment, she just cried out to this man she had heard about. She wasn't at a church service. She was in the middle of darkness in that moment. And she said, and it was as if light just come into my mind. That's how she would explain it. And she goes, and in that moment, I knew there was a God. And in that moment, I knew it was Christ. And I asked him, I said, God, help me. And oh, how he has. And now this woman's married. She's been happily married for I don't know how many years, but close to 20. They have five beautiful kids. And she's been walking faithfully with the Lord. And I've known her for 12 of those years. And I'm just telling you, that's what God does. Now, don't get me wrong. If your testimony is, I grew up in a Jesus-loving home where we didn't watch horror films, and I came to know the love of Christ at a very young age, I want you to know that's just as spectacular. You're like, well, no, it's not. It's not that very impressive. Stop it. Because you're diminishing what God has done. God, in His kindness, placed you in a home with a mom and a dad who loved the Lord, and you knew none of the craziness. But if you could see into the shadow realm, you would know this. You were, as a young boy or girl, in the domain of darkness, and God, in His kindness, had saved you. It's as radical. It's as beautiful. 
is no diminishing the power of the gospel. But I want you to know, you're never too far from God as long as you're alive. There's hope. There's hope. Jesus, he went there for this man. Spoiler alert. Soon as he's done, he's going to tell the dude, you got to stay and I got to go. It's the only reason he came. He's not even able to eat pigs yet. Right? Which is sad. He's a Jew. Right? Jesus is a Jew. He's not able to eat a BLT. Right? A lamb. Lamb tomato. Right? You could do that. No bacon. He came to set this man free. I want you to know, he came to set you free. This is what he does. Let's listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11 says this. Or do you not know, Paul says, that the unrighteous, which is everyone apart from Christ, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers inherit the kingdom of God. Pause. Everybody in, in a church setting almost always hones in on the homosexuality there, right? Because most of the time we're not talking to most of you, so we're not going to offend most of you. But it says drunkards. It says drunkards. It says revilers. It says swindlers. There's no inheriting the kingdom of God if that's the life you're choosing to live apart from God. But then it says these really awesome words. And such, ready? Paul says, we're some of you. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys. You look real nice now. But I remember. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were cleansed. You were made righteous. You were made holy. Why? Because of what Jesus has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection. So listen, if you have received Christ as your Savior, all has changed. All has changed. Right? Jesus spoke the word and your tormented soul, no matter what age it was, was healed. You're a new creation. You were brought to new life. You have a new story. You have a new identity. You have a new master. You have a new hope and a promise. And you have a story to tell. You actually have a story to tell. Because there's a world out there that knows nothing of this good news. And you may be the person that gets to share this good news with them. And you might be like, oh, I don't know how to share all those things. But you do know how to share what God has done for you, I hope. And if not, just think about any time you tell a story, right? I come in this morning, I don't care about basketball, all right? That might get me in trouble here because I've heard a couple of you really care. And I don't mind that, by the way, but you're telling all these stories about Kansas and about Texas and hook them horns. Did I do that right? Right? <laughs> and, and, and here's the deal. I love that. Why? Because we're supposed to enjoy this life. We're supposed to. Listen, but... We've got to be able to get to the point by God's grace that we speak that freely about God's goodness and His life and what He's done for you. If you're going to get that jazzed about burnt orange and hook'em horns, you've surely got to get 
little more jazz, just a tad more, in the fact that God, the creator of all, sought you out, found you, delivered you from the domain of darkness, and has given you life, life that will never end, but goes on forever. And the treasure of the gospel, by the way, is you get God. You get God. He's given you life. Oh, but so many times we, we get so numbed over that we don't see this. We, I pray often that you just be shocked out of the haze that is just your normal day life. And that you could just see more clearly. I pray the same thing for me, by the way. That you just see the stunning reality of Jesus Christ. Because when you, when you behold Him, you will be like Him. The reason you struggle with sin is because you still just don't see the beauty. I'm not saying you're not saved. Don't hear me wrong. But you just still need to see more of His beauty. Because when you do, oh, you'll still sin. But you will run to Him and you will fall at His feet. And you will be met with mercy and grace and kindness and love. Why? Because he died to save you while you were an ungodly, weak sinner. How much more would he do to help you now that you're his son, now that you're his daughter? He delights in you. He loves you. And he has so much more for you. Do you believe that? This man experienced that. Let's, let's finish out. That doesn't mean we're almost done. We're, we're getting close. Luke 8, 37 through 39. Now all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, Jesus, to depart from them, right? Get out of here. <laughs> it's crazy. For they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and he returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might go with him. It's like, which makes sense, right? These folks were like chaining me up in the graveyard. Like, it's not a good day. I was naked. I used to run around causing a lot of havoc. The Gospel of Mark talks about how he used to howl and he used to like cut himself with rocks. Really looking for a new zip code, Jesus. Can I come with you? And Jesus said, basically, he said, no. He said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. You know, Jesus, he continues to befuddle. Doesn't he? He does me. J.C. Ryle said this. I think he, he, he just gets to the heart of it. He says, the Gerasenes begged Jesus to leave them, and their request was granted. And yet the man from whom the demons had departed asked that he might be with Jesus, and his request was denied. Strange. It's strange, right? The former demoniac is now a picture and a trophy of God's grace and the power of God, right? He serves an example to all of us, by the way, uh, that have experienced the mercy of grace, that have received and trusted by faith alone in Christ and all that he's done, that we ought to declare how much Jesus has done for us. That's why as, as Holly was praying for our time today, I, I kept hearing the words declare, that you'd make us bold, that you would help us. And I'm like, she's thought about this text. It's exactly where Jesus goes. Which is the last point. Redeemed image bearers testify to how Jesus changed our lives. We do. The, think about it. The words return home had to have made this man's heart sink. I mean, I'm guessing here. I don't know. But think about it, home for him would not have been a place with like, you know, warm and fuzzy feelings, right, with like scented candles and like roast beef. Nope, 
It was a place of, of torment, darkness, and, and just embarrassment, right? Imagine now he's going back into this situation, and everyone's going to say, aren't you that guy? Well, I might have been your story. Or aren't you that girl? I remember you in high school, right? I, I remember showing up one time as a saved man to a church, and a woman comes up to me, and she goes, aren't you Scott Rising? I said, I am. She goes, what are you doing here? For real. I said, I'm here to worship Jesus. What are you doing here? And she got my point. I got the pastor in a church where a lot of people went to high school with me. And I was voted in high school least likely to be saved. Just kidding. We didn't have that category. But I did get most argumentative. And if you hang out with me, you'll say, I know why. <laughs> Not much has changed. I thought there was some transformation supposed to happen here, bud. Well, you should have known me before. It's a slow thing. And one of these ladies started to come into our church, and, um, and I was mean to her in high school. I was a jerk. And she really struggled with me being a pastor. And I asked for her forgiveness, and she still struggled to be in that congregation. And then it got to a point six years down into that relationship as a saved man and as her pastor, she'd just come up to me and she kept throwing these little sideways comments to me. And she goes, I still just struggle to believe. And I said, I, I'm, I know, I've been praying that you might trust in the power of the gospel more. Because she, she was lost in religion. She thought Jesus saved good people. She didn't even realize. I don't say it to her shame, I'm just saying, Let's not make that mistake. No one's too far from the hand of God until the day, their day is done. Till they're dead. Till that moment, you never know when the power of God's going to show up and save that person. The power of God's word does transform. I got a lot more I want to say, but I'm going to finish with this. This man is really the, hardly the poster child of good soil. Remember going back to our text a couple weeks ago? He was just scattering seed. This guy, you don't go and think, well, I know this is good soil. You think, this guy's deadpan. This guy's hard, hard. There's no way. This shows the, Jesus is wanting the disciples to see how powerful that seed is. That it can go into this man's heart and bring about life. Right? It's all connected. The problem is not that the gospel is not powerful enough. More often than not, the problem is, is that the church is too afraid to go into the dark corridors of life and actually seek out lost, desperate people and trust that the power of the gospel is sufficient to rescue them. And so we think, no, it's the suburbs, that's where, because they're really close to God. They're not, they're not any more close or far away from God. They're in the domain of darkness. We just got to be like Jesus in that picture of the parable and just scatter the seed and trust wherever it lands, God's going to do what he decides to do in that moment. Why? Because it's powerful, I promise you. And many times there's scary behavior as, as a result. You know, I, I have no doubt about the dragon lady going back to her. It's probably the result of years of abuse that you and I wouldn't ever want to discuss. I, and, it, and, and it could have been from the, her himself or, or others. But sometimes we think they're too irredeemable. They're too far gone. 
Oh, God, forgive us for thinking that, that God's word and that your spirit are that impotent. His word, his spirit is not that impotent. He delights to save the ones you think there's just no way. Why? Well, because Jesus tells us, Matthew 16, 18 says this. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen to what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I will build my church. That means the body of people. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates are not an offensive weapon. They're meant to keep people out. Jesus is saying, we're going to storm the gates of hell. And we're going to take people out of there. And we're going to bring them into my kingdom. I will do it. He's promising to do it. And if you want to know how it ends, it's not a surprise. Revelation chapter 20 says that Satan and demons get thrown into hell forever. And that baby is sealed. And all who have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior enjoy life abundantly with Him, without sin, and without any chance of this ever happening again. And all things are made new. This man's a picture of what's coming. And it's new heaven. It's new earth. It's restored man, woman, child with God for eternity. And if you receive Christ, that is actually your reality now. 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 And you might feel like, well, this feels like hell sometimes. This is as close as you'll ever get. So hang in there. And know this. All of these things are preparing you for an eternal way to glory that's yet to be revealed. God doesn't waste an ounce of your pain. He doesn't waste an ounce of your suffering. He forces it all to your good. If you are trusting, loving, and called according to his purpose, you can rejoice in the God who is ruling over all things. Why? Because he's for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save hell-bound people just like us. Father, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to be people who, who just go to the places where the gospel is going to bear good fruit. Lead us, guide us, help us to see the people around us. Help us to be compassionate but courageous to bring the gospel to them. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.